Welcome to the Roger Snipes Show. My name is Roger Snipes. I'm a lifetime natural fitness enthusiast with a key interest in physical and mental development, where science and nature create synergy, bringing you lifestyle optimization. Hi guys, welcome to episode 21 of the Roger Snipes Show. So today, I take a deep dive with Scott Starr in the profession of hyperbaric therapy and how it affects the body, who uses it, how it affects disease, how someone can use it to optimize their health. And uh, yeah, we really look at it from different angles. We have lots of science covered for people who like to geek out and all the studies and all the technical aspects of science too. Now, this podcast is going to be split in two podcasts to make it a little bit more bite-sized. So on the first half of the uh, podcast is going to be on hyperbaric therapy and the second will be on the brand Troscription, which specializes in nootropics. Um... These nootropics have a special formula which has the precise therapeutic amount in each ingredient to make the troche unique and special. Troscriptions is physician formulated and medical grade. Dr. Ted Achacoso, <laughs> I think that's the way you say his name, is the pioneer of health optimization medicine and practice and uh, also led the development of Troscription line with the desire to address uh, uh, symptomatic bottlenecks many of his patients faced on the path optimizing health. Now, as I said, the person interviewed today is Scott Starr. He is the director of integrative hyperbaric medicine and health optimization a board-certified internal medicine physician. He also has a BA in history, which seems a little random, but he gives his reasons behind it, and a Bachelor of Science in Psychobiology. Now, Scott is, is an amazing person, very intelligent, with great charisma. I, I truly enjoyed learning a great deal from him, and I'm sure you will too. Anyway, let's uh, get started. This podcast is brought to you by Keon Aminos. Amino acids are the catalyst for nearly every physiological function, including protein synthesis. Unlike branch-chain amino acids, which only use three amino acids, Keon Aminos comprise of nine essential amino acids. A deficiency in one of them would have detrimental effects on muscle preservation. Keon aminos have bioavailability and are clean. They don't have any artificial additives or preservatives. If you're looking to preserve muscle whilst losing body fat, then these are incredible. Check getkeon.com forward slash snipes aminos. That website link again is getkeon.com forward slash snipes aminos and use coupon code snipes20 and get 20% off at checkout. This podcast is also brought to you by 
Keon Flex. Having good joints is paramount, regardless of what age you are. But when it comes to health, most people focus on muscles or the heart. Flex is for your joints. It helps to reduce inflammatory response from physical exercise. So if you have swelling or soreness or mild joint discomfort, then this can help. More people need to focus on flexibility and mobility. And now they can with Keon Flex. Check out getkeon.com forward slash snipes flex. That website link again is getkeon.com forward slash snipes flex and use coupon code snipes20 and get 20% off your order. Hey Scott, how you doing? Doing well, Roger. Thanks for having me. Good morning over here. Yeah, and good afternoon from here. It's, uh, it's what, 17 minutes past five here, or 19, sorry, 19 minutes past five in the afternoon. Just starting my day here over in San Francisco. Had to take a leave of children duty over the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> everybody home, um, everybody having fun, but it's a small house and a, it was a rainy, rainy weekend. So everybody got a lot of close, close time this weekend. How are you doing? <laughs> That's the thing. Uh, yeah, same sort of thing here, really. Um, it's been quite rainy. So right now there's a little bit of sun outside and my daughter's just rushed out there like she was barricading the house and she's uh, been set free. So she's enjoying herself right now. See how muddy and dirty she can get, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then spread it along the furniture. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been uh, playing a little bit of an email tag for a little while, and uh, mm -hmm. we've managed to make it happen. So greatly appreciated. Um, so yourself, you are the director of integrative hyperbaric medicine and um, health optimization. Yeah, I have lots of titles. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like to make thing. it. You're, I'll you're, make it really. Really simple. Sorry? I'm just an I'm an internal medicine physician. Um, I trained in Baltimore. I've been out of my I've been out of training for about ten years. I, I am a hyperbaric medicine specialist, um, and I also have a practice called health optimization medicine. So most people are familiar with internal medicine. Um, it's it's like a GP over in the UK. Um, it's the quickest way you can get out of residency at a training. And that's one of the reasons I took it, <laughs> actually. Uh, it's also very general training. I like to say that I know a lot. Uh, I know a little about a lot versus mm -hmm. knowing a lot about a little, which is typically what a specialist would, would do. So if you specialize, you tend to know a lot about a very single, single organ, organ system, at least in medical training. I discovered hyperbaric medicine in medical school because it was this therapy that was sort of, it didn't just span the medical field, it spanned the internal medicine, alternative medicine fields in like lots of different ways where there was insurance approved indications for it, but there was also alternative indications and it was very simple with just oxygen and pressure, healing, accelerating, synergizing. And then I got involved in biohacking, optimal performance, all those kinds of things with Bulletproof in 2013, so many years ago when there was just the coffee. Mm -hmm. And I met Dave back then. Dave Asprey. And then I transitioned my practice uh, to combine both the hospital work, which I still do, along with an integrative approach to hyperbaric medicine, using a foundational approach to health that sort of sets aside disease 
and focuses on the health of your cells, your gut, your immune system, something called health optimization medicine. So that's the shortest way I can describe what I do from a professional standpoint. There's others, of course, there's nootropic companies and there's others, other fun and fun things, but that's the main thing. You've also got um, a BA in history as well, isn't it? Yeah, I do. Actually, I... Pretty random with everything else. It may feel that way, I guess, but you, when you're going through college, for me, um, I started off as a biology major and I realized that I didn't want to do marine biology and other sort of animal biologies. And I, and I sort of gravitated towards screwing the whole thing and just getting my requisites for, free medica- for medical education. So the things that you need to take, so you can take your, your MCAT, which, which is the, store, the, uh, the test that you need to take to get into medical school. And I decided that I've always loved history since I was a kid. I, used, I was a big reader. I love biographies. And so I decided that history was a better major than biology. So I initially was going to major just in history um, and just do my pre-med requis, uh, the things that were required for pre-med training in in, in college. Um, But then I realized I was going to finish college in like two and a half years, and that wouldn't be that fun. So I wanted to stay for four years. So I I double majored in in history and psychobiology. So, and I love history. I've always been a big history fan. Um, I think history can teach us a lot about what's happening now, of course, um, in the world of pandemics. And even in the world outside of pandemics as well. And so um, my background is in, I'm, I'm Jewish. I grew up in a culturally Jewish home. And, and history was always very important to my heritage and to what happened before and, and understanding you know, where things go and where things are going. So that, I, I've always loved history. I loved reading. So that's why I became a history major. That's interesting. That is. Um, I was never really good at history, but I think as I left school, I became more interested in history afterwards. Um, I think the whole structured thing in school where you have to follow through a certain I don't know, scripted approach of history, I think that's where it kind of bored me. But that's cool. What I wanted to know as well is you also, you said you've done uh, psychobiology. Mm-hmm. Is that um, to, to do with the understanding of human behavior and brain function or something like that? Yeah, so it was, the psycholo- it was the biological basis of psychological diseases. So it was interesting uh, because it was a sort of biological spin on psychiatry, I guess you can say. Um, so I learned a lot. It was interesting. Um, it gave me more of a sort of human connection to the biologic work that was, I was starting when I was a biology major, but it was mostly doing like marine bio and other fields, which I didn't find as interesting. So it gave me a little bit more of a connection to the human frame, the human, um, the human form, I guess, especially when it comes to the brain. It's funny, I've always been a very structured guy, Roger. So I, I've always sort of gravitated towards structure. Um, but in my now later years, my goal is to release a lot of that structure and just more go with the flow um, mm-hmm. and maintain my awareness in the present moment instead of you know, the crazy structure that I've lived my life with. So, and I'm sure you can, you can resonate with that, the idea of trying to, or at least the, the attempt of integrating both structure and structureless time within our days, within our, within our lives is, is important. Um, but the psychobiology major for me gave me some structure in the sense of you know, psychological in, illness and biological basis as I was going and thinking about going to medical school. Mm. Wow, that's so much different stuff. You see, 
obviously you work in the uh, hyperbaric oxygen chamber. Do you, is that your primary, your primary job most of, most of the time, or is there something else which you focus mm. on? So I, I divide my time with three things. I divide my time being a hospital physician. So I work as an internal medicine physician inside a hospital called the hospitalist, which is basically a rounding doctor, a ward doctor maybe, I think it's described as sometimes in some locations. I divide my time between doing that and also being a, an integrative hyperbaric physician um, that, uh, that consults with patients and people all over the world, really, helping people uh, with protocol development, with integration of hyperbaric therapy within their, within their clinics, if it's a clinician. Mm -hmm. um, and I do a lot of that work remotely. I do that work all over the world using Zoom and other platforms, doing a virtual practice. I like to say education, advocacy, mm -hmm. and consultation in hyperbaric field, but it's an integrative approach. And so that pr approach has evolved into one where I practice something called health optimization medicine at the same time, which is this foundational approach to health. So I have this, let's call it a concierge wellness practice that's both in-person and virtual. It includes hyperbaric medicine. And then I have a hospital practice as well, where that work is something that I do and that I enjoy as sort of the secondary thing that I do. Um, the third aspect is being more on the business and development, development side, which is being a part uh, the chief operating officer of a, of a nonprofit organization called Health Optimization Medicine, which is training doctors and practitioners how to practice this form of health that I, that I do in my own practice. And then we also have a for-profit company that makes nootropics and other supplements and products that are helping dovetail this health work that we're doing with the ability to address some of those things that are difficult along the path to health. And so it sounds like a lot, but my day-to-day -day really is being a clinician and then working on business calls and, and, business, and products and developing coursework that supplement what I do. All right. So focusing a bit more on the, the hyperbaric side, I just wanted to know, what is, what is the main reason the hyperbaric therapy came in place? Was it because of what to, to, to help with illnesses or to create superhumans? Like what's, what's the main purpose? Well, it started off as a treatment for the bends or a decompression illness, which is when scuba divers or divers come up too fast from underneath the water and they get these injuries because of nitrogen bubbles that actually come out of circulation from a liquid into a gas and stop circulation and cause ischemia or lack of blood flow and can cause seizures, death, paralysis. If you go back into a hyperbaric chamber or a pressurized environment is where really hyperbaric therapy started as being a pressurized environment. Um, you go back into a pressurized environment, you go back and simulate the pressure you were under a certain amount of seawater where that injury happened, those bubbles go from being a gas form down back to a liquid form and they go away and those injuries can be significantly mitigated or resolved potentially. So a hyperbaric chamber was developed to treat the bends, but over the years we've realized that um, this combination of increased atmospheric pressure, so simulating the pressure you would feel under, under, underneath a certain amount of seawater, along with increased inspired oxygen, combined together to drive a massive amount of oxygen in circulation. And as a result of that, really four things happen. 
the first thing that happens is you have a decrease in hypoxia. You have a decrease in low oxygen states because you can deliver more oxygen to tissue because you've driven a lot more oxygen in circulation. That happens in the short term with just one treatment, but over a protocol of treatment, you can see new blood vessels form. And as a result of that, this vascularization happening that maintains oxygen delivery over a longer period of time after hyperbaric therapy is even over. The second thing that happens is there's a decrease in inflammation and swelling. And as a result of that, you have a couple of things that are happening, but basically if you have decreased inflammation and decreased swelling, you can heal faster. And then if you have inflammation and swelling that's been going on for a long time, it can actually work on the DNA level and change how your DNA is expressing certain things to help inflammation stay down over a longer period of time. Mm. There's also the third thing, which is stem cell release, which is stem cells are these important new cells that are produced from our bone marrow and our brain that allow any cell to be developed from them. So stem cells are massively released in the chamber and they allow healing to happen. And you can see that in the chamber very quickly and even over 40, 60 treatments, you still see more stem cells being released. The fourth thing that happens is that we can kill bugs. We can kill virus, fungus, and bacteria in a hyperbaric environment. So we use hyperbaric therapy in that way in combination with other synergistic tools, antibiotics, antivirals, antifungals, whether it be natural or the ones you get from prescription. And the, the last thing, actually that, those are the four things it does, right? So it decreases hypoxia, it decreases inflammation, um, it, stem cell release from an exponential perspective, and the fourth thing is killing bugs. So it can be used in a very integrative way uh, with other therapies, with other practices, with other technologies, and that's how I got my, my concierge wellness practice started. Um, and I see lots of different patients and talk to lots of different people. It could be condition-based. Um, it could be performance-based. I see endurance athletes. I see people who are looking for recovery. I see people that are looking for optimization of brain function, of sexual function, of everything in between, uh, Lyme disease, traumatic brain injuries, stroke. I'm giving you a lot of things to think about. Of course. Wow, yeah, yeah. Um, but all of these things, the basic physiology is the same, right? And that's why I so emphasize it. We're reversing hypoxia, decreasing inflammation, stem cell release, and killing bugs. So if you have one of those things or require one of those things, hyperbaric therapy might be an option for you. Now, the question also then becomes, well, why doesn't everybody get into a chamber? And the answer is that everybody likely should but it depends on when would be optimal for you, depending on what your goals are and what's going on. Right, right. I think, yeah, what your goals are. So yeah, everyone should, really, I'm thinking about it. But um, what's the price range to use a chamber, roughly? I mean, that could possibly be one of the reasons why many people don't do it. I'm assuming. Oh, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it depends on the type of chamber. There are different types of chambers. There's a soft, mild hyperbaric chamber that's portable and can be in people's homes. That goes to about 23 feet of seawater, 1.3 ATA in our language. Um, there's also hard chambers, they're different types. There's monoplace, which are like single unit chambers, steel, acrylic, plastic, or glass. Acrylic glass, actually not plastic, acrylic glass, um, that go to about three ATA, which is 66 feet of seawater. And then there is these multi-place chambers there where multiple people can get treated all at the same time. And those go to very, very deep pressures. Those are the ones that you see in academic centers, the ones that you can treat dive injuries, so decompression illness, and other, really decompression illness is the main one that goes below 
66 feet of seawater in general. So, and there, the nice thing about multi-place chambers as well is that you can actually have people in there that are not sick or not getting treated per se, but that can attend to the people that are sick. So as a result of that, if you can get very sick people inside of these multi-place facilities or multi-place chambers. So the, the, the cost depends on the type of chamber and the indications to go in the chamber depend as well. So like a soft chamber, for example, that goes to 1.3, these are really good, we think, for neurocognitive related conditions or um, for goals. So if you're looking to optimize cognitive function, if you're looking for cognitive enhancement, if you're looking for mild muscle recovery, you know, jet lag, um, other things that are more sort of light, let's say, um, and if you're stacking it with other therapies, if you're you know, in the biohacking world, if you're using low-level light therapy, if you're using neurofeedback, if you're using uh, pulse electromagnetic field technologies, it, those are nice things that can really be stacked well with, with a soft chamber. The nice thing also about the soft chambers is that you can actually bring things inside there with you. So you can bring in things that help you optimize performance in any particular way. Um, but you also can you know, bring in your work and take phone calls and, and whatever it might be. Those chambers, um, the, you can buy them. The typical cost for buying a chamber like that is somewhere between 11 and 20,000 US. But per treatment, if you go to a facility, it's gonna be about 100 bucks, 100 US. The hard chambers uh, will range anywhere between 150 to about $400 per treatment. It depends on your location. If you're in a big city, like if you're here in San Francisco, it's gonna cost more. If you're in a small town, it's gonna to cost less. The more medical indications that you're doing at the facility as well, because there are insurance approved indications, the more those places are going to cost because there's more supervision required, right? So there's more doctors, there's more supervision, there's more technical support needed for sicker patients that are going inside the chambers. Mm -hmm. So, and the multi-place chambers usually are in hospitals. And so those are typically insurance approved indications. And for those, it's typically going to be not as much money for patients if they have insurance because it's going to be covered. Right, right. Wow. Do, do the chambers also offer the the hypoxia? I know you mentioned that yeah. it, it it reverses that, but could you I don't know flip the switch and do hypoxia if you are hypoxia um, therapy if you wanted. So the cool thing about being in a chamber is that you can actually you can model hypoxia by being in a hyperoxic, an extra oxygen environment. And the way you do that is every 30 minutes or so when you're in the chamber, you can take off the oxygen you're breathing. So say you're getting oxygen on a face mask, or mm -hmm. you're getting even oxygen in the, in the air around you in a chamber. Now, typically in a soft chamber, you are just breathing. So the air around you in a soft chamber is just compressed air. And that air is 21% oxygen but you can put a nasal cannula on, you can put a face mask on, and you can increase the amount of oxygen you're breathing. So you put a face mask of oxygen on or a nasal cannula, and all of a sudden you're breathing a lot more oxygen, right? you're inspiring more oxygen. And every 30 minutes or so, or every 20 minutes, you can actually take off that oxygen, right? So say you, you were say like you were at 90% oxygen because you had a face mask on, and then you took it off. Now all of a sudden, you are at, back at 21% oxygen. So all of a sudden you have a relative hypoxia, so you, your body sees that as a relative hypoxia. So as a result of that, you're getting the same things stimulated but that you would if you were in a hypoxic environment, which is super interesting. So we're looking how you can modulate hypoxia or relative hypoxia, let's call it, 
inside a hyperbaric environment for the same benefits you would get potentially in a hypoxic environment. Yeah. So the same things get stimulated as if you were in a hypoxic environment. So we can use this to help with healing, uh, to help with mitochondrial function, to help with blood vascular growth. So it's a super interesting idea that very few people understand in the hyperbaric environment. My colleagues in Israel that have the largest hyperbaric facility in the world, they are using it not because, uh, well, not because they truly understand what's happening, I think, in a lot of ways, but in some ways they understand this relative hypoxia on, may have a benefit from stimulating stem cell release and blood vessel growth and, and this thing called HIF, hypoxic inducible factor. HIF is this cytokine, this hormone, this chemical that's released when you have this relative hypoxia. So we also think this might have a, an effect on something called senescent cells, which are cells that are otherwise called zombie cells that they accumulate as you get older. They don't replicate, they don't divide anymore, um, and they don't work that well anymore. And they, just, they have a high correlation to cancer, degeneration, inflammation. So we think that by stimulating this relative hypoxia, we're doing one of two things, either making these cells go away or regenerating them. So very interesting things that are happening. But yes, so you can have this relative hypoxia. Now, there are just hypoxic chambers too, which I'm sure you're familiar with, Roger, uh, which you can use for altitude training. And there are some benefits to that as well, for sure, especially in the performance world. If you have a condition, if you have ongoing inflammation already, I don't typically recommend them because it could be too much inflammation and too difficult for the body to handle, especially if you haven't thought about that foundational of cellular biology that you have or you don't have already. So how are your cells working? Can you make energy well? Um, can you harness the power of your mitochondria to make energy effectively? If you can't, it'd be a detriment to you to go into hypoxic conditions directly. Right, right. What causes the, the popping feeling or the pressure feeling in your ears? I remember the first time I used it, it I, I thought my eardrums were going to burst or my brain was going to explode. I was like, I had to knock on the, on the glass. I was like, my ears. And then, he, and then he released the pressure. So what was happening there exactly? Well, he should have told you that that was going to happen. Oh, <laughs> Number one. okay. okay. <laughs> um, and then you would have been prepared because I, I prepare all my clients to understand that when you have an increase in pressure, just look like you were on a plane or you're on a, in a tunnel going on a train or in a train, you feel that popping sensation whenever there is a pressure differential because you have the outside of your ear, the external ear, and you have the inside of your ear, and there is a membrane that blocks the two. And that's evolutionary, evolutionarily there for a lot of different reasons, as you can imagine. Um, but in this case, there's a pressure differential between the outside of your ear and the inside of your ear. And you have to be able to equilibrate those pressures. To do that, you have to pop your ears, just like if you were, again, on a plane or a train. So when we're going underneath the seawater, anybody that's ever dove deep underneath the water, like from a high board, um, or even go deep underneath the pool, you'll feel that pressure change. And that's because of the heaviness. The heaviness of the air is changing, and that heaviness manifests as a pressure differential in your ears. Mm, okay, right, heaviness. Yeah. Is there a difference between I'm sure there is. What is the difference between ozone therapy and oxygen therapy? Yeah, I get this question a lot, and it's an important one. There are some similarities, 
Ozone is O with a, an additional oxygen attached to it, so it's O3. And what we think ozone is really good for is it's a good anti-inflammatory. Um, it's something that can also be an anti-infective. And ozone is typically given either um, rectally or in the IV, um, or it's, there's, there's lots of different ways it's given. It can, can be given auricular as well in the ears. Mm -hmm. Ozone, it's, it's toxic to the lungs, so you don't want to breathe in ozone. So mm -hmm. ozone gas is not something that you should be breathing. Um, but what's interesting about um, ozone, I find, is I think it's a really good localized therapy for joints as well. So if you have inflammation in joints, um, so you can do facet joint injections, knees, hips, shoulders, you can do ozone injections. It's something called prolotherapy, where oxygen as a third, is an ozonated form, can be very helpful to bring an inflammatory response to the joint. And as a result of that, bring more stem cells and bring more growth factors to that joint as well. Mm -hmm. So the difference in hyperbaric therapy is that we're doing something more systemic and also something that's more working on um, oxygen delivery, whereas ozone is more about in, in creating inflammatory response, I would say. Um, and what creating type of gas is, is it? What's that? Well, what type of gas is it? So it's ozone gas. So it comes in what a is gas. ozone gas? Oh, so ozone gas is basically ozonated uh, oxygen. So it's basically a gaseous form of oxygen. So you can't see it, okay? If you ever look at it, you just it looks clear. But it, it has a smell to it, which I don't recommend you smell. This, this ozonated gas is just, it just gaseous oxygen with a third molecule of oxygen with it. It can be created in a lab. It can be created with a machine. You mentioned you can stick it up your bum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's what's the deal there? What what like? <laughs> why would a person choose to actually? I think I saw, I think I saw an IG video by Dave Asprey where he was talking about sticking it up his bum. Yeah, uh, it's a common, it's a common delivery mechanism. Actually, the bum is a great delivery mechanism. Honestly, okay. Um, for for suppositories, which everybody knows already, right? Suppositories are used in adults for hemorrhoids, <laughs> but in sure. in children. Um, it's actually a great way to deliver medicine if they don't take things orally. The mucosal surface there is very hypervascular. Um, and so as a result of that, it's very easily absorbed. And so it's not the most exciting way to get medical delivery. However, it's a very potent one of delivery. Um, and in this case, ozone in, that, in this way can help with detoxification of the gut because it can help with killing bugs in the gut that you maybe don't want to have. Um, it also can help, like I said, it can help diffuse inside the ozone molecule into the vascular system because it's so hypervascular down there. So that's the reasons why I, I see it used most often. So you'll hear a lot of people using it for detox, detoxification for the most part. Okay, okay. So it's mainly on the, the external part of the body and you don't breathe it in? You don't breathe it in, no, it can be okay. given IV. Um, so it can be mixed with your, with, with actually your blood, excuse me, with your blood itself. Mm -hmm. um, that's probably the most common way people get ozone. Although you, people have, in our biohacker worlds, lots of setups for home rectal ozone. It's a pretty common one. Um, and there's even more that's happening now with auricular, so in your ear, interestingly. Um, and so those are the two main ways people are using it at home. Um, in the world that we live in now, I'm 
I'm a proponent of it um, from immune system perspective as well, just like hyperbaric therapy, it's ways to enhance your immune system. These are sort of very specialized ways to do it, of course, but, um, and like you said, it's not, these aren't available to everybody, but um, in my perspective, they are, they are definitely ways to enhance your immune system function, as long as you're doing the, the basic stuff too, of course. Yeah. The hyperbaric oxygen chamber, can children use that as well? Yeah. Yeah. We have um, two, three month old babies that are going in with anoxic brain injury. Right. So and anoxic brain injury is like near drownings and, and, and things like that. With regards to the pressure, is that sort of adjusted in accordance yes. to the age and stuff? Absolutely. So when you're the younger you are, the more, the more sensitive you are to hyperbaric pressures. So we have to be careful about how much pressure we give a three or four month old baby versus having a 40 year old or 60 year old person in there. Um, but there's, there's actually a clinician that is, it specializes this in this field in kids um, that in hyperbaric medicine, specializing in children. He's down in Louisiana. Um, his name is Dr. Paul Harch. And I recommend uh, most people that are interested um, in, in, if they have a child that's been brain injured, that you know, they look up some of his work. Um, he's the guy that's done a lot of it, but I get some consults and I do education around it, just understanding that um, those pressures have to be um, not as deep. They have to be more, they have to be lighter pressures and they have to be much more careful with how people, how these babies and how young, young kids can tolerate pressure because of their ears and because of other issues as well. Mm -hmm. So obviously the, the chamber is used for all types of illnesses and diseases. Mm -hmm. Um, have you had patients who's got COVID-19, the coronavirus? And if so, what's, what's been the progress on that? So the answer is not really. Um, there's been some, uh, but there has been a little bit of research out of China uh, showing it wasn't done in a controlled fashion, but in very, very sick patients, they were using hyperbaric chambers as a way to oxygenate the body. The thing that happens with, with COVID-19 and, and some other very significant pulmonary diseases or pulmonary, <clears throat> it's called acute respiratory distress syndrome or ARDS is that you have a very difficult time oxygenating the body. The lungs build up with fluid um, or like this fibrous material that prevents the oxygen that you breathe from getting from, in, from the air into your body, into your vascular system. And when that happens, when that happens, you become hypoxic. You can't get enough oxygen in the system. You can't perform your physiologic functions and you know, deterioration, death, et cetera. So they were using it as sort of a, a last ditch effort in this Chinese cohort where they used it and actually had significant benefit at oxygenating the system. When you pressurize oxygen, you allow more of that oxygen going from the gaseous form to the liquid form and drive it into circulation. So we know this in principle already happens and people like with carbon monoxide poisoning. So if you have carbon monoxide poisoning, you have carbon monoxide in the system that's bound very, very tightly to the hemoglobin molecules, which are the, on the red blood cells, the hemoglobin molecules carry oxygen from the lungs where they're picked up to all the tissues in the body. If you flood the body with oxygen, you can flood it with so much oxygen that you can actually outcompete the carbon monoxide molecule for that site on the hemoglobin molecule, and then you can oxygenate the system. This is how I learned about hyperbaric therapy in the beginning. I saw patients that were comatose on ventilators walk out of chambers because they were able to get hyperbaric therapy and outcompete those carbon monoxide molecules and then maintain or, or re recalibrate the system in a way that oxygen was able to be carried. 
So the idea in this cohort was to give as much oxygen as possible, possible to, to overcompensate or over, to, there's a word for it that I'm, that's escaping me, but it yeah. basically make it so that it went above and beyond what was required to get through that fibrous or liquid material to get into the system. So in less acute patients, there and people that are, you know, that have symptoms but are not in hospitals, we don't know yet, you know, because it hasn't been used. There's definitely interest. I was speaking to a colleague of mine in Florida just a few days ago who's trying to get a study done in, pe in people that are at lower severity with COVID-19 to see if we can get them into hyperbaric chambers to temporize them or maybe help them. Um, and in this case, it would likely not be deep pressures, but more superficial pressures um, in like soft pressure chambers, pressure like 1.3, 1.5, um, because we think that that would be good. We don't also want to cause too much what's called oxidative stress by bringing them into a deeper chamber. In yeah. deeper chambers, you get more oxygen, um, and that's good in a lot of ways, but in some ways that in people that have a lot of stress already, it can be too much. So I have a colleague of mine in England um, that has COVID-19 and has been using it, and he feels like it was a significant benefit in helping him recover. But again, this is all, um, it's all anecdotal. There's nothing that I can say that you absolutely should do this. Yeah. Um, but increasing oxygen delivery is gonna be a good thing in, in patients in general. But if you have a respiratory illness, um, as long as you're not overdoing it, it can be something that can help you too. So, you know, breathing exercises, um, ways to increase oxygen delivery, a little bit of exercise in general, these are good things to do, even if you're not feeling amazing. You just don't want to overdo it. So um, in my, what I'm doing personally is that I'm getting into the chamber when I can. Um, I'm also using ozone as well as a way to help oxygenate and help with um, immune system function. So these are the things that I have special um, ability because not everybody has the ability to get and use these things. Yeah. But in general, what we all can do is help try to maintain our abilities to build, uh, maintain our abilities body to make energy effectively and utilize oxygen well. And so there's been some interest in methylene blue, for example, which is in my mouth, which is the nootropic company that I work with. Um, we have a cognitive enhancement nootropic. It's not for COVID-19, but methylene, methylene blue is an interesting compound that helps with oxygenation at the cellular level. Um, working on cellular function, so making sure you have the right vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that can help you um, make energy effectively as well is important. And so making sure you have antioxidant levels that are good and, and making sure that you're not toxic. And I mean, there's so many things I can talk about, Roger, but yeah. I'm overdoing it. Hey guys, so <laughs> I'm going to stop the podcast here and uh, take a bit of a unique approach. So the second half of the podcast is going to be on methylene blue. And as you can hear, we just touched on the surface of it. It's a nootropic, yes, but its beneficial elements doesn't just stop there. Now, as you can hear, Scott is... <laughs> a science ninja. And I really want you to be excited in everything he has to share on the next podcast, which will be updated this Sunday, April the 19th. So for now, have a powerful day. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips 
So always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes will not only provide you with the best services, but will help out the podcast too. So thank you. If you do like the Roger Snipe Show podcasts, then why not give it a review? A five star would be awesome. But some great feedback on what you liked about the show or what you would have liked to hear would be helpful too. Until next time.